everyone, welcome to the Life of Learning podcast. I'm Eustace Frank, and um, today I'd like to just have a bit of a continuation on the theme that I was talking about yesterday, uh, which was about uh, free agency. And this particularly came in response uh, to a book that I've just recently read. Uh, well, I ended up actually reading two books by Daniel H. Pink. Uh, his first book was Drive, uh, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, and then his second book, which I just recently read, was Free Agent Nation. Um, and in my podcast yesterday, I mentioned that a big reason why people still choose to work in companies is that companies provide security. Uh, the company looks after them, after the person who is within the company. Um, they give them security in response uh, for the workers' loyalty. And this the security is in the form of obviously like job security, it's difficult to be fired, um, and, and particularly in places like the United States, you get a lot of extra benefits from being a part of the permanent staff, um, so it might be health insurance, or a range of other benefits that might come from that. And when people sort of think about loyalty, it um, we, we tend to think about it as being loyal to some sort of organization. And this has kind of really become part of our mindset. But as I pointed out yesterday, it, we can't actually... Um, organizations aren't entities and they can't actually care for us and they can't look after us and in fact the loyalty that we expect from a company and that we try to show to a company isn't really real to be honest um, in fact we can only show loyalty real loyalty from person to another person and people who are free agents uh, do actually still show loyalty, but exactly, they show it to people, um, not to organizations. And unfortunately, this move that, that society has of showing loyalty to organizations and collectives um, has meant that people move away from showing loyalty to, to the very people that are within their own households. And this becomes a big problem, especially in terms of this, what we often speak of as a work-life balance. And where people juggle going to a job, um, picking up kids from school or daycare, shuttling to them, shuttling these kids to various types of activities, and then that person trying to be involved in the community in some sort of way, trying to connect with their spouse, juggling that as well and then pursuing their own hobbies and interests. And often we really don't have time for each other. And you see this in so many people's lives that this is just not working out. Families are coming apart and we're becoming further frustrated um, in our jobs. And yeah, and we've just been taught to basically separate work from leisure and family also from work. And the separation of work and play has been actually developing for some time and it's partly I guess come through the industrial revolution and and some of the 
earlier revolutions in terms of um, yeah economic revolutions that have happened throughout the last few centuries in particular. And, for instance, in the 18th century, the school reformer um, Franke uh, began to implement free time um, to, uh, to children's school days. And this was to be in contrast with work time. Uh, and work time, of course, was very, very important part of particularly the Protestant uh, work ethic. So Franke was a school reformer in Prussia, um, so in European Prussia in the 18th century. Um, but in assigning a particular time as free time, so exactly, this is what we call our uh, modern day sort of lunch time, so children will go out to lunch uh, or um, break time or, or whatever it is. But in assigning this particular time, all it really did was reinforce that work and leisure were separate things and that cannot be combined. And as we moved into the 20th century in particular, it became really commonplace that a person would go to work or um, that you would travel somewhere to do your job. And this thinking split the time between family time and work time. Um, that they were very separate things. Um, but I don't think this change has necessarily been good for families. Um, children, in, in particular, I see this, having been a school teacher, I see this, uh, that children are no longer able to see their parents working, uh, which in times past was actually a major source of inspiration for children. Um, to see, not only to see their parents working, um, but they were able to also join in uh, with their parents in terms of the work that they were doing. And yes, of course, this meant that often children would follow in the footsteps of their parents uh, when it came to professions. Now, this still happens um, to some degree today. Um, and, of course, there are also some fair criticisms to do with this. Obviously, I don't think it's necessarily good that exactly all children follow exactly in their parents' footsteps. And I think, you know, we, we do need to give the freedom for children to explore beyond that. But um, at the end of the day, humans are most inspired by watching real people doing real things. And it's not surprising that children get very bored in school as they are asked to live in this constant, constantly abstract world. Um, they're doing hypothetically meaningful things in response to hypothetical situations um, from hypothetical people, basically. Um, this is what, basically, textbooks tend to be. Um, and eventually, you know, as human beings, we just want to do something that is actually real. And so seeing and being part of real work within a family is a far stronger motivation for learning. Um, Tom Petzinger uh, notes, the reunion of work and home is only a symptom of a much larger condition, the natural affinity of business and family. And, you know, while we've tried to separate these two things, there is now a tendency, a growing understanding, that in fact, maybe we should be bringing these two things back together again. And in terms of, uh, I 
uh, talked to uh, one person yesterday um, in terms of this whole integration of work and family, and this was a this was a guy from Nepal uh, who ha- who came to New Zealand originally to study IT, and he after two years of studying IT, he just got increasingly bored by the whole thing, and. And then he eventually left that, and now he works as a, in terms of, he works in the scaffolding industry. So, and when I asked him, you know, what he wants to do further, um, he said that his dream was actually to go back to Nepal and work in his father's construction business. Um, that in a sense, his time in New Zealand had been a bit of a waste of time. Obviously, he's that that experience of him, I guess, wasting some of his time here in New Zealand, has brought to reality some of the some of the importance of what family actually means to him and what the family business also means to him. Because he was involved in in, in family business um, and growing up in, in the construction company that his father um, had uh, or still has, and you know he was. In his later years, he was even involved in the accounting um, for the family and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, his aim is to actually go back and and work in in the family business and then hopefully eventually take it over as well. Um, and it's, so it's interesting his what he thought initially, you know, that that he would go and off into a completely direction different direction from what he'd grown up with in terms of. Um, trying out IT and maybe you know it was valuable that he tried that out but eventually he came back to actually you know what I got bored of 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 school of university and actually I I love that experience of what I grew up with um, and I want to be part of that again and um, this is where he kind of feels I guess at home so that was a really interesting story and, and really interesting talking to to this person. And what we've come to notice is that as more and more people become these free agents, uh, where they where they're becoming more independent, they're becoming independent contractors, is another uh, word, or freelancers, we're returning to more naturally tribal ways of living, where we work, play. Uh, where work, play, and learning relationships are all blended um, into each other, and where loyalty, as I said before, becomes more personal again. Loyalty is not given to a company, organization, school, or daycare. Um, you know, often those those sort of things are we see them as being responsible for the care of of members of our family, but. Rather, we're moving back to this model where loyalty is given to in a real way between human beings within the family. So instead of a mother trying to balance loyalty to a company uh, with taking care of her children, and often you'll find that, you know, in order to keep her job, her loyalty to the company actually needs to come first compared to her children. And so people are, are trying to move away from that now, or some people are at least, where their loyalty goes first to their family. So loyalty, uh, for instance, to their children comes first, and then as a free agent, they're able to add work on top of that um, in proportion to their priorities in life.
So this obviously brings up the issue of education as well within the family and uh, for children in particular. So in the United States, uh, you know, which is the country that is leading the way in terms of free agency, um, we have seen a massive rise in homeschooling and furthermore also unschooling. Um, just to note, uh, touch on unschooling. So unschooling, yes, it can be a bit of a confusing term, but really, I mean, if we just break it down, it just means that children are not schooled. Um, in other words, they're not put through the structures of school in their path of learning. And I'd like to label this for the rest of this uh, um, podcast, um, label it as free learning. Um, so this movement towards free learning is increasingly a move for many people, not necessarily for religious reasons, but rather a possibility to pursue a more free agent way of living. And a great example of this I came across uh, recently is the vlog post from the Norp family. Um, you can see their YouTube channel um, if you search up the channel name uh, Norp and South. And um, yeah, they've got an amazing blog and, and um, while they are also a religious family, um, their main reasons for going this more free agent way of living is, is not so much to do uh, because of their religious uh, convictions, but rather because they exactly because they wanted to become more free agents, and um, you can hear them talk about this uh, on their channel. So, free learning uh, children and families exactly they also do do not have their timetables dictated to them by an organisation or like a school or or anything like that, but rather that they work on their own schedule. Um, Exactly. So the company and organization models of of the industrial revolution um, said that that you know workers needed to all congregate in a certain place at a certain time um, to all do the same a similar sort of job, um, and schooling obviously also reflected this model um, because that's the type of people that society wanted. Um, so in schooling, children all meet at a certain place uh, for a set amount of time, and they all do standardized work. And another correlation is also, or similarity is, that just as pay increases for employees that um, through audits and reviews um, to see if you know certain standards have been reached and all those sorts of things, and whether the employee has been a good employee. Um, so also children were tested and examined to be rewarded with grades and certificates, as well as the approval of the school for having been a good student. So when it comes to talking about um, homeschooling or free learning, um, socialization is the biggest concern that people always come up with uh, when it comes to this. So, and when we think about it, this is also a concern that adults have in regard to working as a free agent. They wonder if it can become very lonely. Um, and there, there is a certain um, uh, validness to, to this argument in terms of, yes, you can, if you are working as a free agent or you are learning as a, in terms of free learning, 
you can there is a tendency that you could end up isolating yourself not to say that you can't actually isolate yourself in a school either but um yeah but you know there's the thing that many free agents and entrepreneurs are actually finding new ways to connect and build networks with other people and in a previous podcast i talked about that daniel pink uh the author of free agent nation puts forward the hollywood model of of working so and when people are creating a movie um there is not necessarily one company that uh, directly employs everyone but rather there are a number of free agents and small companies that come together for the project and then they disband again afterwards um, however the network of connections they have made through the project then can play an important part in who they choose to work with in future projects so the point is that instead of your social and professional circle being set and managed by the hierarchical structure of an of the organization that you work for free agents seek to create their own personal network so it's more i guess uh people talking about it it's more a sort of horizontal sort of outreach rather than uh, a vertical outreach um so they, they create their own personal networks of people that they can work with and share ideas with and this is similar to what is happening within the free learning model of learning uh, for children as well um, there's initiatives such as the massive open online courseware or uh, mocks or mocs m-o-o-c's um, uh, maker spaces another awesome idea that that's coming to the fore unschooling resource centers and of course we also have our social network um, social networking sites people are connecting in a variety of ways and these ways are not just limited to uh, the strict age segregated and isolated model of school um, particularly things like maker spaces you know it's not just people there who it's not just young people there it's not just um, children there it can be people from all ages and that's kind of the beauty of it that that we no longer have this understanding that um, it's only children who have to learn and it's and it's children who we have to make learn but in fact that we all can be learning and we can be learning at all times in our life and we can actually all come together to learn so despite all the wonders that socialization at school is said to bestow on people uh, one aspect of life that has uh, seem to be declining is that of community um, so the personal interactions with other people close to us but possibly actually the the sense of community is just is simply changing and and maybe a return to our homes rather than to our work sites and offices may be a way to revitalize community while this may come across as more counterintuitive, greater independence and autonomy may actually be the way to foster better relationships with others. Being a free agent and more than a cog in the machine of an organization may actually provide us with the confidence we need to interact with other members of our community. And that we come to realize that we can be of value to our community and that because other people's loyalty is also stronger towards their own family, 
rather than towards a company, they'll also have more time to be able to reciprocate and add their own value to the community. Um, so I also, as I started thinking about these things, I felt there was another thing that, now this is a, a wee prediction that I'm going to make, and I'm not sure yet, I'm, I'm going to think about this a bit more, but I, I feel that possibly there might be another reversal coming in regards to the un industrial revolution um, trend, and that is, there's generally been a trend towards urbanization in response to the industrial revolution. But as people become more free agents, um, that urbanization drive no longer becomes quite as important. And free agents then seek to carve out their own life and focus on building their own uh, communities with people that they can actually physically interact with rather than simply wanting to fade into the mass of people within a city. And so that's just an interesting aside that, that, I, that I was thinking of. And when it comes to community, um, again, I, I had a, a different conversation yesterday with, with another man. And at the moment, uh, in Japan, the, the Rugby World Cup is on. And of course, in New Zealand, we're very uh, much still a, a rugby sort of nation. Now, unfortunately, New Zealand uh, lost their semi-final. Um, but this man told me an interesting story. He said that back in his hometown, a man had built from his balcony, basically terraced seating um, down from the balcony down to the ground level. And then the neighbours next door, they'd uh, had a, I believe it was a, uh, some rugby posts, and then from the rugby posts they hung a big sheet, and then they set up a projector, um, so that everybody could sit on these terraced, this terraced seating, and be able to watch the game on this big screen. Um, and so this brought everybody in the neighborhood together and they had a barbecue and all these sorts of things and it was interesting they said even even people like firemen and, and policemen and all this sorts of thing happened to drop by and just have a cup of tea and and everything and it was very much a community building uh type of event um the man said you know he he got to know neighbors that he hadn't really talked to at all before um and this is just a fantastic, and it's, and it's a great story of how, obviously, like, in terms of, I think it's great that this Rugby World Cup has brought this community together and these neighbours together, and it's just a fantastic thing. He noticed um, that there weren't any complaints. The only complaint that he, um, or at least from anyone in the community directly, there were no complaints. The only complaint he said, kind of a bit jokingly, was that one old man who lived next, uh, across the street um, said that they needed to turn the sound up because um, he wasn't able to hear all the commentary um, just from sitting in his house. Of course, you know, he could have actually gotten out and come across the street. But anyway, so, yeah. But one issue that did come up was that he had to um, take this seating down, and that was because he hadn't had a permit to build this uh, from the council. So 
you know, they weren't, they weren't, the council wasn't too pleased that he had done this thing, even though, you know, it was a massive um, benefit to, to the community and, and so valuable to, to the neighbourhood there. And this kind of brings me to my last issue, the fact that there will be a pushback, we will see a pushback against the strengthening of families and communities um, through free agency. You know, um, the strengthening of families and communities is not really in the interest of corporations uh, or governments and councils. Um, as people become less reliant on external benevolence to look after them, um, government institutions and corporations will become an irrelevant annoyance. Um, however, you know, human beings, they're, they're not keen to let go of power and control. <laughs> Um, that they have over other people and so one of the things that, that usually comes in, in, in place in regards to this is that we might see more regulation and control being put in place and I'm just going to sneak this uh, wee aside in here as well is that I'm always astounded as to how many people believe that more regulation harms big corporations Yes, of course, it makes life slightly more complicated for them. But on the whole, it actually does the opposite in terms of it doesn't harm the big corporations. Because um, more regulation just raises compliancy costs, which, at the end of the day, harms, harms the smaller competitors more than it does for the, um, the big corporations. So smaller companies uh, have a bigger hurdle to overcome while, you know, the big corporations, they can, uh, they're able to comply with the compliancy um, standards and costs and all those sorts of things. And that just reinforces their monopoly. So one thing that's been interesting for me, obviously I, I live in a tiny house, so, um, and... You know, we've got this here in New Zealand and elsewhere around the, around the world, we've got this growing tiny house movement. And this is mainly because, particularly here in New Zealand, a house on wheel kind of slips past a lot of the regulatory requirements. And so this makes tiny houses a lot cheaper. And you know, tiny houses then are a way of people increasing their freedom. And... Over, over the last year or so, there's been increasing pressure for regulations and standards to come into place. And exactly, these will inevitably then raise the cost of building tiny houses, uh, which will again then make it harder for people to uh, reach that state of freedom for themselves. Yet despite all these pushbacks, I do believe that people will push on towards freedom. And we are we are just wired as human beings to try and gain this autonomy within ourselves and for ourselves and this desire to become free um, and that will allow us to endure some pretty significant hardships along the way as we strive towards this goal. So I hope that, uh, that more of us can start embracing this trend toward free agency um, start making a move towards this direction, uh, this way of living, 
um, where loyalty does become more personal and where we start seeing a strengthening of our families and our communities. So thank you so much for uh, listening um, and I hope to see you in the next podcast. All right. Thank you so much. Bye.